A third surge of COVID-19 is sweeping the U.S. Yesterday, nearly 3,000 Americans died. It was the deadliest day yet. Hospitalizations have set new records for highest single-day counts since the start of the pandemic. Nearly 3,000 Americans reported dead in one day. Leaders across the country are urging people to stay home if possible. Public health officials are struggling to respond to the crush of cases. One of those people is Alabama's top health officer, Dr. Scott Harris. We first spoke to him back in June when cases there were climbing. Now, months later, he's steering Alabama through its biggest surge yet. And he says he's still trying to figure out how to keep the public safe. People want to venture out and do more. They think, well, these rules don't really apply to me, or this is, you know, just one time I'm going to do this with my friends. And so we never really seem to reach people fully. We can sort of get cooperation for a short time, but never really for a long time. But there may not be much longer to go. Because with a COVID vaccine likely on the way, public health officials like Dr. Harris are preparing to start rolling it out as soon as next week. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, December 4th. Coming up on the show, Alabama's struggle to contain the COVID emergency and how the state plans to emerge from this health crisis. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Like states around the country, Alabama has seen a steep rise in COVID cases over the past few weeks. It reported more than 3,500 new cases on Thursday. So we called up Dr. Harris. Will you introduce yourself? My name is Scott Harris. I'm the state health officer with the Alabama Department of Public Health. And we're just a couple days after Thanksgiving here. How did you spend yours? I spent my Thanksgiving at home. My wife and I uh, just stayed home alone. We actually spent quite a lot of time in the kitchen cooking because what else are you going to do? But it was just the two of us, and uh, it was pretty quiet. When we talked in June, COVID cases were starting to surge in Alabama. How has the pandemic unfolded in your state over the last six months? At the time we talked in June, our numbers were headed the wrong way, and they really reached a pretty scary peak in uh, mid-July. And that prompted, you know, a tremendous amount of anxiety. That, at that point is when our, our governor agreed to institute a statewide mask order. And in fact, things improved significantly for about six or eight weeks. The numbers in our state began going down within a couple of weeks. Significantly, they kind of plateaued out in early to mid-August and really stayed that way until the first part of October uh, when we started seeing things go up here again. The path of COVID in Alabama is kind of a microcosm of the entire country. We hit a peak and then numbers never fully went down again. Why do you think that is? 
I don't know that I can tell you exactly. I, I would say that, you know, disease transmission is just all about people's behavior. And it just seems like there's just a certain floor of activity below which we can never reach. You know, we, we encourage people to stay home and be safe and to minimize their interactions. And we can get them to agree up to a point. But then over time, people get tired of it. I think we've really been hampered by inconsistency at the federal level. You know, we feel undermined a good bit when we don't see our leaders doing the things that we're trying to encourage people to do. That's been a real challenge for us. And particularly in a deep red state like Alabama, that's been a real challenge for us in public health. With cases as high as they are now in Alabama and hospitals and ICU units filling up, is the governor considering more restrictions? I don't know that she is. I think she certainly has had to weigh those options. We try to present her all the policy options that we have and help her to understand what we think the implications are. You know, ultimately, she's the one charged with balancing all those public health and economic factors. And I I don't have any indication that, that she's considering doing that right now. Do you wish she would? I wish people would uh, do the things that need to be done. <laughs> right. You know, I think that individually, most people are reasonable. And I, I think that, you know, if we had really good polling, which which we don't, I, I think the majority, you know, of Alabamians get it and are trying to do the right thing. But in particular areas, there are, you know, pockets of people who are real partisan about it. And they, they were the ones who make the most noise and their elected leaders listen to them. And I'm not sure how to deal with that, except we just try to keep the conversation going and try to keep educating people. But it feels like the government should be able to communicate with the populace, that it's incumbent upon the government to be able to deliver public health messages that will resonate with the people. How does it feel for you as a public health official that the public isn't listening to the messages? And is that a problem in the messages themselves? It may be a problem in the messages themselves. I I certainly know we have really tried very hard to reach people, but the things that, you know, have come to dawn on us that maybe we should have recognized a long time ago is it's just really hard to cut through the noise. You know, people get their information in their life in increasingly kind of fragmented ways. I meet people every week or hear from people who still ask, you know, this is just a hoax, right? This is all made up, right? And I frankly don't have any idea how to reach people like that. You know, we're doing our best. We're trying to enlist, you know, famous people. You know, our state football coaches have done some COVID stuff for us, and they're real rock stars in a state that loves college football. You know, we've enlisted local officials. We've done all kinds of, you know, media buys and trying to reach people all the different ways we can. And clearly, you know, some people just aren't listening. And it's very frustrating to us. We, we don't know how to get the message out. Getting the message out is only one challenge Dr. Harris faces. His next will be orchestrating the largest vaccine program his state has ever seen. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. 
Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Welcome back. The FDA is close to approving the first COVID vaccine in the U.S. Are you hopeful that that will help overcome some of these challenges? Yeah, I think so. It brings its own challenges, of course, as well. There's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, as you know, and for different reasons. And in the short term, you know, I think the issue is it really runs the risk of having people drop their defenses a little bit. They see the first Mm. shots, you know, being given on television and they think, okay, we're at the end now and, and we don't need to continue with any of these things that we've been doing. And in fact, we won't have enough vaccine for everybody for many more months. Let's talk about the vaccine availability in Alabama. If the vaccine is approved, what are your plans for rolling it out? And will you apply your experience from past flu shot distribution? Yeah, actually, the way we've done pandemic flu is exactly the same plan that we're implementing now, except we're doing it on a much larger scale and trying to include a lot more people. The initial vaccine that's expected to be approved from Pfizer, as you know, has these real exacting cold chain requirements and storage requirements. So there's a fairly limited number of places where it can actually be delivered to and distributed from. But we've enlisted a number of hospitals around the state, mostly hospitals that have the ability to do that. They have agreed to help us with distributing it outside their buildings to other healthcare workers and other nursing home residents who are in that top tier category of recipients. And we feel like we have a good plan to reach most of our state. Will you be getting enough doses of vaccine for the highest priority populations? Eventually, yes, but initially, absolutely not. We're going to be nowhere near. Just looking at healthcare workers, it can vary depending on how you define them. But we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 300,000 healthcare workers in Alabama of, of all stripes. You know, our initial allotment is going to be around 40,000 doses, we think. And that's just dose one of, of a two-dose series. So you can do that math pretty easily and see that it's going to be a while before we can reach all these people. Given that there are such limited supplies, how are you deciding who gets the vaccine first? Well, what we are doing are working with different groups that that represent different types of healthcare workers and asking their help to enable us to determine risk. We want to give it to those people who are most high risk. So in a hospital setting, for example, you can understand how a, a nurse in a COVID unit would have one level of risk. And, you know, maybe somebody working in another unit would have a lower level of risk. Now, all those people in the hospital are important and they all need to be covered to keep the hospital going and functioning. But ultimately, when you have a scarce resource, you've got a ration. You know, we're going to make really difficult decisions. There is no question that for the first month or so, we're going to have very deserving top tier people who are eligible for the vaccine and who ought to get it, who just aren't going to get it. And I don't have a way to defend that. There's just not enough to go around. And so, We hope that by using groups like the Hospital Association, the Medical Association, the Nursing Home Association, these folks who are able to work within their own memberships to work out plans about how to prioritize, uh, we hope that that'll give us enough buy-in and buy us a little bit of time until we have enough to go around. When will you get vaccinated? 
Uh, that that's a great question. I mean, public health people are, are healthcare workers, and so our frontline nurses who are doing testing and who will actually be administering vaccine, they're at the top of the list, just like anyone else. I've been asked about getting immunized just to do it publicly, just to set the example. I'm I'm very open to that. I also don't want to look like I'm breaking in line because I don't have the same COVID risk as people that are actually doing that frontline work. So we're still trying to make that decision. Maybe you should administer it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be one way to do it. Yeah. You mentioned vaccine hesitancy. Are you worried that not enough people will be willing to take the vaccine? Yeah, that's the real irony of this. In the very beginning stages with small doses, we're not going to have enough. And we're going to have healthcare workers who have felt themselves at risk for many months now who are going to be clamoring for it and we're not going to have enough. But as we expand the pool of who's eligible, as we reach just the average Alabamian, we know for a fact there are people that we really want to receive the vaccine who are skeptical about it. The burden of deaths in our state has been borne by African-Americans in Alabama. Black Alabamians make up about a quarter of our state. They make up about a quarter of our cases, but they make up about 40 percent of our deaths. Wow. And that's, you know, probably attributable to a number of factors, but they bear the burden of chronic disease that puts people at high risk. Black Alabamians are more likely to have diabetes. They're more likely to have heart disease. They're less likely to have access to care, all those issues. And listen, Alabama has a real troubled racial history. That's, you know, an understatement for sure. And we're the state that's known for the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. Everyone in Alabama knows that story. Certainly all black Alabamians know that story very well. So we are working with a number of local people around the state to try to to serve as trusted voices in their community who can get the message out to those people who need to hear it. We worked with our African-American Legislative Caucus. They're an African-American pastors group that we work with in the faith community. There's a council of black mayors around the state that we've talked to many times. And what we want to do is give them the information that we see that convinces us that this is likely to be a safe and effective vaccine. And then they can be the messenger to take it to those people that we probably aren't very effective in reaching. How will you measure success? Success will be vaccine uptake for sure. That's one way. And that's going to be somewhat difficult to capture. We can tell geographically where those people live, but it's hard to break it down demographically much beyond that. If we really have vaccines that truly are 90 to 95 percent effective, if that's really what we end up getting, we don't need to immunize everybody in the state to really interrupt disease transmission. We could reach a a much lower threshold, maybe more like we do with flu vaccine, and that ought to really improve things quite a bit. When we spoke in June, you mentioned that those rural communities in the southwest of the state don't have a lot of access to hospitals. Given these super cold temperatures that the Pfizer vaccine needs to be kept at, and given that these are the communities that are very vulnerable to COVID, how are you making sure that there is access for those communities to get the vaccine? Yeah, so the Pfizer vaccine makes that very challenging. We do have some hospitals that have the ultra-cold storage capability in places like the Black Belt. And we've asked all hospitals to help immunize people in their catchment area. So the county where they're located, the surrounding counties where people uh, would naturally come to that area for health care. But to be honest, the Moderna vaccine is, is much more promising for those areas. 
It can be ordered in increments as small as 100 doses, whereas the Pfizer vaccine comes as a 975-dose minimum. The Moderna vaccine can be kept essentially in a normal freezer or refrigerator. And there are a lot of locations throughout the state or throughout the southwest part of the state that can handle that. So pharmacies or community health centers, nursing homes themselves can do that. There are urgent cares and doctor's offices. So we feel like once we have an adequate supply of something other than the ultra-cold vaccine, we'll have a much better chance of reaching those areas. So right now, on one hand, your state's COVID levels are higher than they've ever been. And on the other hand, a potential vaccine is days away. How do you get people through this period and ready for the vaccine when tolerance and COVID fatigue are where they are? I wish you could tell me the answer to that question. We are just trying to message uh, night and day the things that we think they're important. You know, we've encouraged people to have personal responsibility. We've encouraged people to think about others that they care about, that they may put at risk for disease. We've encouraged people to think about not having the same kind of holiday season in December that we've just gone through here at the end of November. We've encouraged people to think about what business shutdowns were like and how we never want to do that again if we can avoid it. We're trying to touch all the emotional strings we can to see what motivates different people. And sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't. When you think about this year, 2020, how does it make you feel? Wow. Believe it or not, it's really hard to reflect on it. It seems like things are happening so fast that I'm not sure I have any perspective. Every day feels like we're putting out fires and Someday I'll I'll look back and try to figure out what grand lessons we've learned from it. Or or maybe not. Maybe I'll just try to forget it. I I don't know. (laughs) The biggest lesson I think I've learned is that, and this sounds like I'm, I'm trying to be funny, but I'm not. The facts don't win the argument most of the time. You would think that just presenting the scientific evidence and explaining how things work would be enough to convince people. And it convinces some people, but, but most people aren't convinced by that. And they're convinced in different ways, and we're still trying to figure out what it takes to convince them. This is going to be a really difficult December, it seems to me, for our whole country, but certainly in our state. I hope people can just hang on a little bit longer. In a couple of months, we'll have made really good inroads, I think, with immunization. This is the time to really protect those people who are most vulnerable. They can't, in a lot of cases, protect themselves. Thank you so much, Dr. Harris, for your time. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed being with you. That's all for today, Friday, December 4th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Limbaugh. The show's produced by Katherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Katherine Anderson, Peter Leonard, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.